we're going to get started with something new. And to do so, I wanted to share a picture that is a peek into my personal problems, okay? And uh, it's a vulnerable moment of sharing my addictions with you all. Uh, we've talked about this before, um, but this is a picture of my board game shelf, so you can laugh at me, it's okay. Uh, I, I, may, I made that sound more serious than it actually was. Um, it's funny because uh, I, I was talking to some people yesterday, I was thinking about this, some family members. I, I, we grew up playing board games together, right? And I loved sitting down with my family playing games. I remember when I first felt like old enough and someone was willing to teach me not Monopoly because I felt like that was the big kid game and I hadn't been able to play it before and played a bunch of other cool stuff. But then you got to play Monopoly and then I really, I think I loved Monopoly because it made me feel like one of the big kids and like I had been welcomed into some other group. And then all of a sudden, I eventually over time like just held on to Monopoly because you know, that had that special place, but the more I played it, the more I was like, I really don't like this game at all. It's awful, and it's always, like, forever long, and starts some fights, and it's just not pretty. But we kept playing games together, and it's funny, like I told Tessa, I said, you know, over the years, she has watched me get excited about different things. I'm going to put this kindly. You can ask her for the real story, but she would see me get wound up about something that else that starts today, like fantasy football. And there was a height of fantasy football where like, that's what I had to get excited about, and it got a little crazy at times. Uh, I got really wound up and into it and was excitable about it. And there were other times where I worked at the video store and really enjoyed movies and got really into movies, and then there was a shelf like this, not like this, but a shelf that had way too many of those on it. And whenever I found out that there were other board games than I had grown up playing, Things that I didn't even know existed. And not just things I didn't know existed, but hundreds and thousands of games I didn't know existed. I kind of got hooked. And she was making fun of me yesterday with our family about how much I acquired when I first got excited about it and was getting into it. And she's like, this is not sustainable. Here is your shelf. It must stay contained in said shelf. It cannot exceed said shelf, which I get. But I joke around about the idea that I loved these things before I found out there were more of it. You know, I, I showed her videos as I've gone through stuff over this last year from the 90s where I'm getting like three or four new board games and super excited about them. Like that's where my face is bright because I'm getting these new games that no one knows about anymore. They've been long forgotten because they were gimmicky, plastic, breakable things that, you know, were here and gone. But I love this and if we get talking like we were yesterday, I was talking to my stepbrother-in-law, and uh, we you know, hadn't spent a ton of time together, and so we were just talking and chatting, and this came up, and he's like, what do you mean, like, what kind of games do you like to play? I was like, just come upstairs, it'll be easier to explain, right? It comes up in conversation, because when you're passionate about something, when it's a part of who you are and what you're wound up about, it eventually comes up. And it's clear, like, when I got into this, I started, like, down YouTube channels and learning as much as I could and learning there was all this whole other language I didn't know about. When I got into fantasy football, I realized there's so many strategies and so many different ways people do this that I didn't know about. When you get wrapped up in something, you kind of dive into this whole other culture, this whole other thing, and really invest in it, right? There's something else that you really have to invest in something you really have to pour yourself into. 
Something that you might be driving down the street and be able to know that someone has done because you'll see one of these on the back of a car, right? Maybe. There we go. You might know what this is. You've seen them before. You might actually know what it is. Yeah. It means you ran 26.2 miles in a marathon. And this is like a badge of honor. That If I had done that, I probably would put on the back of my car too. I'm just being honest because the fact that I ran 26.2 miles and did not die would be something that is worthy of celebration. But I see something like this on the back of a car, and it's not just like a cultural thing where like you learn the culture, you learn the language, you learn like some cool stuff so you can carry on a conversation, and you have a small collection over here you can talk about. It's not just something that you casually have over here as a part of your life that is part of the thing you love and get excited about. It is like a way of life if you're going to do this kind of thing. People who do multiple marathons, you don't just like wake up one day and decide, I'm going to run a marathon, right? You decide one day, I'm going to go out and run a mile. I'm going to run a mile all week, and by the end of the week, I'm going to run two miles. And then I'm like going to keep running two miles, and then I'm going to add on a third mile. And this is something you slowly go with. Then we start going over here. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Like they didn't just give out of the 10% maybe of their income that they felt comfortable parting ways with because I could still survive if I gave this tiny portion. They were selling off their livelihood and their property and the things they had to make sure that the new guy over there who was honestly a Gentile that I couldn't stand three weeks ago, but now he's a part of the body and we're supposed to take care of each other in the love of Jesus and so I'm going to sell off what I have to take care of him. Every day, they can, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We look at a passage like that and we're okay with a part of it and we kind of long for the rest of it. We say we would like to see thousands being added to our number daily. But the struggle is these people were living in the way of Jesus. Sacrificially giving of themselves, fully, wholeheartedly devoted in the same sort of way that that runner has to be devoted to the training that's in front of them to accomplish the marathon. It wasn't a half-hearted like, yeah, I got these cool things I do over here when I get the time to get together with my friends. You should come join us. It's a cool time at game night. That's how I invite somebody to participate in the game thing, right? You should come over sometime and play games. It's fun. You should come to my church sometime. It's fun. People are nice there. And I'm not saying that's not a good invitation. I'm not saying you shouldn't invite your friends to church. I'm saying I think sometimes we treat our faith as if it is one piece of who we are. But the added total of our identity is still our job, our family, and we cut this pie into like 50 different pieces. Depending on our stage of life, there's a differing number of slices to the pie, right? Depending on how many kids you have and how many sports, because i got three now, and they're all in different things. And so every night of the week, my family has a different place to be, and that pie has increasingly gotten more challenging to manage. I get that. And for some of us, we've maybe made it through that season of life, but we're finding we fill that pie with other things. 
other activities, other projects that need done. The pie is still divided into a lot of pieces, and we're often left wondering, where can I fit my faith into this pie? Where can I make time for Jesus? Where can I make time to let my faith be important? Honestly, I'm really consumed over here. I'm going to make sure I try to take 15 minutes and read this morning. I'm going to try to make sure that I offer myself in some way to what I'm supposed to be doing throughout the day. Really what it means for a lot of us is the totality of our faith every day, the part that we keep coming back to that we let impact our entire life, is making sure that our moral behavior is correct. We talk about when you're at work, do you say these words? When you're at work, do you laugh at the crude jokes? And I've heard it broken down like that so many times. We let the overall transformation of our life become belittled down to simple little measurable things that we can say, well, yeah, my language is cleaned up, so I think I'm doing pretty good in my walk with Jesus. I'm following in his way because I don't say as many dirty words. I stopped going over here and hanging out with these buddies because they just like to party and do this stuff, and I've stopped doing as much of that. And so I feel like I'm headed the right direction. But we've put the measuring of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to live in His way, to be like He was? Sometimes I think we don't even really realistically make that one of our goals, to become like Him. In fact, I think I've mentioned this before. I heard a a guy who recently, uh, his name's Sky Jatani, and he was talking through some different things. He's he's written a little book about it. It's called, What If Jesus Was Serious? Make sure I get the title right. What If Jesus Was Serious? It's a simple little book with tiny little two-page chapters. If you're like, I'm not much of a reader, this is one you can get through. Trust me, it'd be all right. You get through it. Um, But he just walks through the Sermon on the Mount and talks about what if Jesus was actually serious and expected us to live this teaching out. Because, and just spoilers, at the beginning of that sermon and at the end of that sermon, Jesus talks about taking these things and putting them into practice. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't just like, in an ideal world, this is what you would be like. He's saying, this is the way you should live. And in the midst of that, We kind of say, oh yeah, I I got this little bit of teaching, but honestly, I know that in a perfect world I would forgive my enemy. I know in a perfect world I would turn the other cheek. But you've got to understand, there are circumstances and times that Jesus didn't say. But in these circumstances, you only have to kind of do that. Don't do it totally. But just a little bit here and there at least to make yourself feel good. No, he said, put these things into practice. And Sky Jatani said he went into a college classroom and asked these students, who were there for Bible study. These weren't just like, oh, those kids over at the university who just party and do all this stuff all the time. These are kids who are coming to school for ministry, who are, in theory, devoting themselves to the Word and to prayer and to the ministry of the Gospel, are saying, I feel like it's good teaching, but I don't think Jesus actually expects us to live up to that standard. And I sadly think that's our cultural perspective. Is we say, I'm not sure that I can ever be that. And yet Jesus, when he's talking, in Luke chapter 9, says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, chase after me, follow after me, want to be my disciple, my apprentice, someone who's following in my way, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is saying, to follow me means getting up and putting in the effort, the sacrificial effort every day that is going to be painful. For me, getting up every day to run those miles to prepare for that marathon would be painful. It would be a struggle. It would be hard. I would not do so well training for a marathon. This is the same kind of language Jesus is using daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you're not sure that that's actually what Jesus is talking about, let's look at what Paul says then. In a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize. You know that, don't you? So run in a way that will get you the prize. All who take part in the games train hard. So he's saying everyone who participates in these games, which he's referencing in this culture and time, and people understand exactly what he's saying because they see people participate in Roman games of, you know, I think we kind of still make a big deal over these kind of games. We call them the Olympics. When we think about the kind of level that the people in the Olympics train with to win Olympic medals when competing against the world, those people devote their entire life to being the best at their sport. It is their everything. They live and breathe that sport with every breath. Train. Everybody who's going to participate trains hard. It's not easy. The only one's going to win the prize. All who take part in the games train hard. They do it to get a crown that will not last. A wreath, the, you know, the little wreath thing that they put on their heads. They didn't do medals back in the day. You got this wreath thing that put on your head. Pretty cool. They participate to win a crown, right? But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Maybe not a literal crown, but a reward, a prize that will last forever. So I do not run like someone who doesn't run toward the finish line. I do not fight like a boxer who hits nothing but air. No, I train with my body and bring it under control. And then after I have preached to others, I myself will not break the rules. If I did break them, I would fail to win the prize. Paul's using this language, I train, I fight, I put everything I have daily into working towards the prize and the goal, to go and make disciples, to be surrendered followers of the way that Jesus lived and served and accomplished what he did, working towards his kingdom goals. I put everything into becoming like my Savior so that I can see his message and his kingdom grow. It's not just a part, a slice of the pie. It is my everything. I get it. Because I think about my calendar and my schedule right now. Like our weekends are supposed to dial back a little bit and get more chill. Like we try to practice Sabbath. We try to do things to calm down, to, to make time and space, and to create a rhythm in our own lives where we can focus on investing in this relationship, training, making space and time to do the hard things, to create the practices and rhythms in life that will help us develop into who we need to be, to make time for that training. And then there's that stupid calendar 
like Friday night, it's a good thing. It's a community thing. We're going to be around people. We go to the North-South game. It's fine. Our kids were not having it. It was like they don't care at all whatsoever. And so every five seconds, it's like, are we done yet? Are we done yet? Is this over yet? Why is the clock stopped again? Well, because they, they scored again. Because they keep doing that, and we don't, and it's bad. Um, sorry. Uh, if anybody's sad about that, North didn't do well. Um, but in the midst of that day, they're just like, they're over it, and they're done. And I'm kind of this personality type where if somebody else isn't having a good time, it's hard for me to have a good time. And I'm kind of focused on them, and I'm kind of, ugh. And then Saturday morning, we have soccer, and that's fine. It's cool, but we have to pack our stuff out and go. And then Saturday afternoon, we're, Ellie has got this project, and we're trying to coordinate that, and the time keeps moving and changing, and that's fine, but we're trying to figure out when she can go work on this group project with friends while we're also supposed to be going to the Balloon Fest with family. And then today we have church, and then after church we have football, and then later tonight we have students coming over, and I look at it and I go, yeah, we really didn't slow down. If anything, it sped up. And I get it. The calendar is always throwing things at us, and I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. It's not every weekend. Last weekend was pretty good, right? I think, I think it was good. Yeah, it was really good. It all blurs together, and I forget. But there are times where the calendar and the schedule and the things just get in the way, and I walk in going, I'm not sure if I rested. I'm not sure if I had time to focus and do the things that I value and care about. But I train. It doesn't mean I have to do it perfect the first time. It means I train. It means I keep getting in there and keep trying to find ways to get better at investing myself and pouring myself in and surrendering and dying to myself so I can be fully devoted to Him because there's nothing more that I want than to be like Him, to follow in His way, to do the things He wants us to do. If He told me tomorrow, get rid of everything on the shelf, I'm there. They're gone. It'd be hard. It'd be rough, but they're gone. I don't think he's told me that because I've met a lot of cool people doing that stuff, and I think it's opened a lot of cool doors. I don't think God needlessly asks us to get rid of hobbies and pieces of the pie. Football with Silas provides opportunities to spend time with other people if I take advantage of them. I'm bad at that sometimes because I'm not the guy who just walks up and says, Hi, my name's Nick. Who are you all? Like, I'm bad at that. I'm kind of quiet, and I need to get better at it. It doesn't mean that life doesn't provide opportunities, but if I'm not investing outside of the pieces of the pie, if I'm not investing in training my mind to think like he thinks, to see opportunities as he sees them, to look for opportunities like he did with the woman at the well, I will miss opportunities, I will not be in the right frame of mind, I will be worn out and stressed out and missing opportunities. Because it's just a part of my life and I can compartmentalize my faith and when it's time to invest in my faith, I will. And when it's time to do other things, I will. But I believe we as a church have been called to something more. And I say the way forward and what we're talking about because I feel like it's important for us over the next few weeks to start talking about some common language you're going to hear me use a lot. Some of it you've already been hearing me use and maybe not even recognized or realized it yet. Some of it that I think is just important to kind of help shape and form our mindset because we can look at the culture and other churches and try to say, well, here's what you got to do to figure it out. Here's what we got to do program-wise. We need to be offering these things because that's what churches offer. They offer these programs. 
Here's what we need to do because this is what churches do. We need to have this kind of set up for these kind of things to happen and this kind of thing to play out so that we can be a good church and grow. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of buttons I know I could push that would get tails in seats. But at the end of the day, I have no interest in more tails in seats if we ourselves who are already in the seats are not the ones bringing them into the door because they've already been introduced to the church and Jesus while not in this building. Go and make disciples. He didn't say apostles. Go make disciples. Continue to pour into disciples and everybody else be spectators and watch what the apostles are doing. Everyone was called to participate. You'll see up here on the slide that it's 1 Peter 2, 9-10. through 10. That wasn't one of those moments where I wrote down a note and then changed gears. We're still getting to it. I think sometimes we think that I just need to get so much of my life together and invest so much of myself and then trust my church and my pastor to do a lot of the rest of the work. And I can go on being myself and having my own life and my own space and my own time and my own energy and my own things outside of there. And I know that compartment of my life is still functioning. And occasionally when it fits my schedule, I'll go do the things they're doing. But if we were read Peter's words to the church, it reads a little different. But you are not like these other people who are doing these other things, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Not just Nick is the reverend, Nick is the pastor, Nick is the one who... No, all of us are a royal priesthood. A holy people, nation. Yes, he's writing to Jews because Peter would be a little more focused on that people than maybe Paul's writing would be. But we know that Jesus died and used God's people, the Israelites, to bring about this change where everyone is now invited to be sons and daughters of God. Abraham, the promise is that through your line, all people would come to be my chosen people, right? And so as we read these words, we understand it speaks to us just as much. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Not just Nick, not just the leaders, all of us were called out of darkness into the light so that we could participate, be ministers of the gospel, be involved in the work of the kingdom, not waiting for someone else to do it, not joining in and participating when it's convenient, but all of us investing, picking up a cross daily and going. Once you had no identity as a people. I talked about those board games earlier because if you get talking to Nick, you'll know he's a game nerd. He likes football. He likes different things. And you start to build an identity based off what someone's interested in, what they do, what job they do. You kind of develop an identity about all those slices of the pie. What if there was one identifying marker that trumped it all? Not because it was the thing that was most important and I would just sell my board games for it and I talk about it a lot and I beat people over the head with my Bible and he's always talking about Jesus, so I assume it's important to him. But what if it was the one thing, like Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another, by the way you follow in my way and become like me. What if our identity was actually that of a Christ follower, someone who walked in the path and the way of Jesus, 
someone who was more than what we understand as a Christian, because there's a lot of people who use the term, I'm a Christian, which means I grew up going to a Christian church, and I haven't been in a long time, but yeah, generally that's kind of where my, if I have some belief and faith, that's kind of where it lands. That term gets used almost more as like a religion that I kind of may or may not participate in that much anymore. And I'm not diminishing it. I'm not saying I don't use it. I'm just saying I want it to be more than that. I want to actually live up to what that term means, a little Jesus, a Christ follower who starts to look like and imitate and be like him. You are God's. Once had a, you didn't have an identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And in His mercy, we have the opportunity to keep walking. Today is just setting the table for a lot more conversation. But I'm setting the table by saying this. As we step forward and look for the way forward from here, I want that way to be totally consumed in the idea that each of us is to become like our rabbi our Savior, to follow in His footsteps and become like Him. And if we are not making that the most important thing, it doesn't matter how many people we bring through the door, because I don't know how much fruit we'll be producing. We can have a lot of people gathered in this space singing songs and listening to me run my mouth, but if the rest of the week we are not invested in running the race and training to become like Him and pouring ourselves into that relationship what is all of this for? Setting that table to say where are we headed is going to require a lot of work on our part, not just mine. I've been saying that for a while, and I know some people are like, well, we pay you to do this stuff. And I go, yeah, I know. And that's why I really struggle with that job sometimes, to be perfectly honest. Because sometimes I think we say, yeah, we pay you to do that which means we don't have to. And I step in philosophically and go, should a pastor get paid? Which is a scary thing for a pastor to say up front. I'm not asking you to... But we've honestly talked in the leadership time and time again about what would it look like if I could make money some other way and be able to devote myself to this where we said, no, we're all in this together. I would hope that we don't have to do those kind of things, that we could just move beyond it and realize it is all of our responsibility to grow and walk and be devoted to the Word and to prayer and to become like Him. I take the role of pastor caring for the flock and the sheep very seriously. I am not the one who will grow the kingdom in terms of numbers outside of where I invest. And one person can only invest so far. But when one shepherd invests in a flock and that flock is turned loose to then invest in their community, it exponentially makes more of an impact. So I want us to set our sights down the road towards the end of the race saying, for us, the road ahead is going to be filled with a lot of hard work. And ask ourselves the question, am I personally willing to pick up my cross daily and not assume that I have been training adequately. In fact, I would like us all to assume that you all work out like I work out. I got a gym membership, but when do I actually show up? Lately, it's not been good. I need to get better at that. Ask me in a couple weeks how I'm doing. All right, some are really wrecked my routine, being honest. But I think that's the way we get about it sometimes. It's like, I got a gym membership, but am I putting in the energy and the effort to actually 
grow and train and strengthen. And that's what I'm calling us and asking us to do, is over the next few weeks we are going to talk about what it actually means to follow our Savior and become like Him. How do we do that? What are practical ways over the span of months and years we are going to continue to try to build up practices, build up a toolbox of how we devote and invest that time spiritual disciplines and practices, and just routines and rhythms in our life that will help us grow. And they will be different for each of us because all of us have different looking pies. But my challenge is for us to say, can I be serious about this? Do I really want to invest or am I cool just cruising along down the road on cruise control letting somebody else drive? I hope not. Because for me, that's not the way forward. That's the way to nowhere. And I want us to go somewhere. So if you would, bow your heads with me. I know that this morning is a little different than some of what we've been doing lately. And it's more of a pep talk on where we're headed. But I want you to take this seriously and look into those passages this week. Read a little more. Dig in a little more. Think a little more about where is it I've really been trained and where is it I've really been investing And some of that we're going to keep unpacking. But right now, this morning, I just pray that you would start that practice here and try your best. I know it's uncomfortable for us sometimes in the silence to just surrender ourselves and open ourselves up to God's presence and His voice. But just give yourself a bit of space here in this moment to surrender to Him and try to listen to Him and say, God, help me be honest with myself. Do I feel like someone who is running a race? Or am I someone who's just cruising along watching? Help me to see if I'm taking my walk with you seriously or if I need to be prepared to train a little harder. Father, I know there were a lot of moments. I've been thinking about them a lot lately where your people stood facing the Red Sea with a very dangerous army of chariots behind them. Or stood facing the walls of Jericho where you were saying you were promising something that was ahead. But honestly, the circumstances looked a little daunting and walking around in circles just didn't feel like it was cutting it. And I'm sure there were moments of doubt and moments of fear and moments of uncertainty of whether or not I could actually do what you're calling me to do. I don't know that we're actually going to be able to make it out of this one. I don't know if I have the strength to trust you through the midst of whatever it is that feels so daunting ahead of me. And Father, I have lots of moments like that myself where I feel like I am good at doing my own little thing in my own little space, in my own little world, but to accomplish something bigger, to truly follow in your footsteps, to actually surrender in a way that feels painful is scary. Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness and strength to become a people who do not give in to a spirit of timidity, but stand on the spirit that you gave us, a spirit of boldness and strength, a spirit that has proven time and time again throughout your word that it is powerful enough to overcome. 
And so, Father, I pray that we would walk forward in confidence, trusting in you and knowing that you are good and that as we continue to have conversations and talk and unpack different ideas and wrestle with different scripture, Father, I pray that you would help us to catch a vision of what could be, to get passionate and excited about it, to realize how much better we feel in the midst of it, and to help us become one of those runners who trains every day because we love to run. And I pray that every time we run, that it would be directly towards you. Help us to be your people. Help us to fall in love with you. Help us to see the beauty of what you've called us to be. To overcome the fear and see nothing but the joy. Help us to press on to win that race. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen.